Today we want to focus our attention as we continue with our series on worship, looking at the fourth commandment. We want to look at the whole issue of Sabbath keeping and building the kingdom of God. In a nutshell, the Sabbath is not a day for inactivity, for laziness. The Sabbath is a day to build the kingdom of God. In the award-winning film, Chariots of Fire, at one point, Eric Little walks home with his family from church. You may remember this scene. And a boy runs in front of him, nearly knocking him over, uh, chasing a ball. And Little stops the boy and asks, Do you know what day it is? Yeah, Sunday, replies the boy with his head down. And Little questions the boy, The Sabbath is not a day to be playing games, is it? How would you have responded if you were that boy? Yes, it is a day to be playing games. No, it's not a day to be playing games. Well, maybe it's a day to be playing games. I don't know. Is the Sabbath a day to catch up on unfinished business from the past week or to plan the next week's events? Is it a day to be idle, to sleep in and be idle, a day to enjoy your own recreations and pleasures? Is it a family day? Is it a day to watch all the ball games on television or a shopping day? Because many, many people use the Lord's Day for those kinds of activities who are and call themselves Christians. As you look through history, dear ones, whether it's Canadian history or whether it's American history or whether it's the history of any other nation that has had a Christian heritage. The church was most effective in morally transforming and influencing society when Christians honored the Lord by refusing to work, sell, or buy on the Lord's Day. By honoring that particular day, it's inevitable as you trace that out through history, you will find God's blessing being brought to bear on nations that have professed the Christian faith. You know, even non-Christians back then, in those days when the Sabbath was honored throughout a nation, Even the non-Christians then knew that God's law required a setting aside of one day out of seven. And you know what? It caused even the non-Christian in that kind of society to step back and take a real good look at the church because 
a church or a nation that would acknowledge one day was a nation, was a church that took their God seriously. It is bound to have that kind of influence upon a nation. Well, what happened in our nations? What happened? Why do they no longer enforce and keep the Sabbath? Why are there no longer Sabbath laws in our communities? Well, in order to answer that question, you simply need to answer the question, why doesn't the church acknowledge that there is one day out of seven that we are to keep? Because a nation is not going to honor the Lord's Day when the church fails to do so. There's a direct, direct relationship there. You'll find, again, when the church excluded the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and all of the applications of God's law to society, they excluded that from their creeds, from preaching, that that is when society began not to take seriously those same commandments those same laws. A Presbyterian minister by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse made this particular statement. It was a tragic hour when the Reformation churches wrote the Ten Commandments into their creeds and catechisms and sought to bring Gentile believers into bondage to Jewish law which was never intended for the Gentile nations or for the church. You see, when ministers of the gospel began to say, it's a shame, it was an embarrassing moment, it was a tragic hour, when Sabbath-keeping was brought into the church or into our creeds, it's no wonder, again, that we have, as a society, gone so far from those biblical ideals. Dear ones, it is the church of Jesus Christ that must repent. From the bottom of my heart, I say it is the church of Jesus Christ that must repent for the desperate condition our nation is in. Light always dispels darkness. How can we expect the nation to take our God seriously when we do not do so? By sanctifying that day that he calls holy. We cry out to God in our prayers that God would end and bring the murder of unborn children to an end without realizing our need to repent of our Sabbath breaking. We want God to end the blight 
of those who break the sixth commandment. But we have not repented yet in the way that we should as the church of Jesus Christ for breaking the fourth commandment. You see, the commandments are all one. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one part is guilty of all, James 2.10 teaches. Whether is gross neglect of keeping the first four commandments, there will be gross neglect of keeping the last six commandments. It cannot be any other way, for the last six are built and founded upon the first four commandments. And at that point in time, there will be the covenant curses of God that God will pour out upon that nation that turns his back upon him, according to Deuteronomy 28. Judgment begins, dear ones, with the house of God, Peter says. Therefore, we are really more accountable because we are God's people. In Obapt, or the, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is a covenant sign, as we learned last week, to God's people. It's a covenant sign. It's a covenant sign for either blessing or for cursing. Just like baptism is a covenant sign for either blessing or cursing. Or the Lord's Supper is a covenant sign for blessing or cursing. Or sitting under the preaching of God's Word is a covenant sign for either blessing or cursing. I believe our gross neglect of the Lord's Day has brought us to, to the curse of abortion. Now, the world would say that's absolutely ridiculous, and many churches would say that's absolutely ridiculous, that Sabbath-breaking or the whole idea of Sabbath-keeping has anything to do with abortion. But I submit to you that it has everything to do with abortion. Everything in the world. If people will not take seriously God, they will not take seriously the image of God. If we are to see the kingdom of God come in ever-increasing glory to this world, we must honor the Lord. We must enjoy Him. We must be refreshed in His earthly Sabbaths. The Sabbath is intimately tied to building the kingdom of God here upon the earth, dear ones. It's in, intimately tied to declaring to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It's intimately tied to discipling the nations, where Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. It's intimately tied to God's call to all who will hear and come and find in Jesus Christ rest, Sabbath rest. This is what they're called to, to enjoy that rest of God through his earthly Sabbaths. Well, let's note from Mark chapter 2 how this text does point to 
the whole issue of Sabbath keeping and the building of God's kingdom. In Mark chapter 2, just a very brief general overview of this chapter, the Lord Jesus is attacked on four different occasions by the Pharisees and scribes. Notice the four questions in each of these occasions in verse 7. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? First question. Another situation. Chapter 2, verse 16. How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Chapter 2, verse 18, third situation. Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And the fourth question. Chapter 2, verse 24. Why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You see, each one of these questions is an attack on the Lord Jesus Christ and his mission why he has come to this earth. And the answer that he gives or that's implied in those particular questions tell us a great deal about who Christ is. For example, in in the first question, chapter 2, verse 7, who can forgive sins but God alone? Guess who Jesus is? He's God. Come in the flesh. In verse 16, the question, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Well, I'll tell you how it is. He's the great physician. And he comes to heal those who humble themselves before him and confess they need a doctor for the soul. To the question in verse 18, why did the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? He's the bridegroom who's come to call unto himself his bride. And the final question, why did they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The answer Because the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord. In our passage before us, in this last attack in chapter 2, the Lord Jesus, as we see in verses 23 through 24, was a very busy uh, person on the Sabbath. Notice, now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why do I say that Jesus Christ kept himself very busy on the Sabbath? Now, there's not anything particularly stated in this passage here with regard to how busy he was. But let's just consider for a moment. He's passing through the grain fields. They pick some grain from those particular uh, stalks and take them and rub them in 
their hands and partake of the grain because they are on the run. Now, if they had all the time in the world, they would have sat down at a meal probably and had a nice meal. But certainly the implication is they're eating on the run here. They're kind of going through the uh, through the uh, uh, a fast food place, as, as it were, to uh, get some quick nourishment on their way to the next uh, encounter, to the next thing that they were going to uh, be involved with on the Lord's Day. Look at Luke chapter 4. Notice here how Jesus filled his day, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, with deeds of, of piety and worship. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Notice what it says. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, as was his custom. That was one of the things that we can say for certain that he did every Lord's Day. Every Sabbath, he worshipped in the synagogue. The same chapter, verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths, plural. Teaching them. There was this particular teaching and preaching ministry that Jesus Christ was involved with in his worship each Sabbath. We also see that Jesus was very much involved with deeds of mercy on the Sabbath as well. Mark 3.1 Mark 3.1 Where in this particular account, Jesus, it says, and he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And they watched him closely whether he would heal him, notice, on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. So here's another situation. They're waiting for him, uh, kind of like uh, uh, waiting for the prey to jump on uh, one slight mistake that Jesus makes. They think that they can nail him on this particular issue, breaking the Sabbath. Jesus Christ goes out of his way, as we'll see, to do miracles to perform healings, acts and deeds of mercy on the Sabbath. He's not idle. He's not lazy. He's not inactive. He is on the go on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day. We also see in Luke 14.1, Luke 14.1, which we already looked at that chapter, Luke 14.1, now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely and behold there was a certain man before him who had dropsy and dropsy I had to look it up myself because I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not familiar with what dropsy is I'm not familiar with that particular term but uh, apparently it's a, a, an inflammation. A fluid uh, concentrates itself. Bodily fluid concentrates itself in certain cavities or tissues of the body. So the face becomes very puffed up or the stomach becomes very bloated and uh, a very uncomfortable, painful type of infirmity. But here he's invited. 
Now, again, uh, they probably not invited this man to be a guest. They probably brought this man in simply to, again, to set him up. How is he going to respond? Jesus doesn't back down. He heals the man on the spot. Again, showing his mercy and compassion on the Sabbath. Luke 13.10. Back just a little bit. The previous chapter. Verse 10 says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a man or woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Apparently, uh, this particular infirmity was uh, maybe similar to uh, arthritis or something, but bent over, unable to, to uh, stand up straight. And in this particular condition, and again, the Lord in his mercy reaches out, lays his hands upon her and heals her of this dreaded disease. In John chapter 5, John chapter 5, this uh, speaks of the incident where Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda and out of all of those who are sick, who are lying around the pool, he goes to one and he heals that one who was unable to get to the water when the water was stirred at certain seasons or points in time to be made whole. But Jesus, the living water, comes and gives this man life, heals his body, shows him compassion. Verse 9 says, And that day was the Sabbath. Why does it keep pointing out the fact that the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath, I mean, there must be a point to this. Why does God want us to know that these things were occurring on the Sabbath? God wants us to know because we are to do similar deeds on the Sabbath. We are to be like our Lord. The last example is in John 9, John 9, where the Lord heals a blind man. One who had been born, one who had been blind since birth, not because of any sin that he or his parents had committed, but it says that the works of God should be revealed in him, that God could be glorified through this man. But notice again, verse 14. Now it was. A Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. The Lord wants us to know, dear ones, in that eternal Sabbath with him in heaven, we will not be simply sitting around like we're doing right now in an eternal worship service. God wants us to know in that eternal Sabbath, we will be serving him, performing his deeds, showing love and compassion to one another. 
eternally. And so, therefore, our earthly Sabbaths must be filled with the same deeds of compassion and mercy. Not only this is wonderful, this is blessed to be able to gather together and worship God, but that is not all that the Sabbath entails. It was not so for the Lord. It will not be so in heaven. Therefore, it should not be so now. That third category of deeds, deeds of worship or piety, deeds of mercy, and deeds of necessity. The Lord Jesus filled his days with these particular kinds of deeds. In Mark chapter 2, again, verse 23, the eating of the heads of grain there, we could probably cast that into either of those categories, a deed of necessity or a deed of mercy, because certainly it is an act of mercy to, uh, to uh, feed, uh, to nourish our bodies, uh, to take rest uh, as we need it. But it's also something needed for us to be able to carry on if we're going to have the kind of busy day we're talking about having. If that's what God calls us to do, we need to nourish these bodies as well. Now, it's interesting, this particular question that the Pharisees ask in verse 24, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? This particular uh, question is really quite hypocritical. Here we find the Pharisees condemning the Lord and his disciples for simply walking through grain fields, taking the grain and rubbing their hands and eating it. When in Luke chapter 14, which we've already looked at, they would go so far as to have a big meal and all the preparation that's involved in that and invite guests, many guests, to join them. For it says, Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. As you read through that particular account, you find that there were various guests that were there. In fact, they were, they, the Lord watched them as they tried to find their places around the table because each of them wanted the seat of honor would seem to go hand in hand, uh, being a hypocrite as well as wanting the seat of honor, uh, that highest place. And, and so the Lord also points out how they must seek the lowest place and not seek the highest place. Let God elevate you. Don't elevate yourself. But again, it points out the hypocrisy of this particular question that they ask. <clears throat> the eating of the grain, uh, though we should probably remark concerning that, was not forbidden uh, or sinful. Uh, the taking of that grain from the uh, stalks in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, this, the Lord uh, does say this, when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck 
the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. Take what you can carry. Don't bring a basket or several baskets and walk off with uh, your next week's uh, uh, meals. It was perfectly legitimate and all people under God's law were required to observe this. That if somebody was walking uh, by your trees, if they pulled off an apple or a piece of fruit from your tree, they were not stealing. They didn't need to come and ask you, may I have that? Now, you know, today, I think it would probably be wise to do so because we do not operate under God's law. Uh, many people would be greatly offended uh, if you did that and may even uh, bring the law in uh, to the whole matter. But uh, in that particular society, at that particular time, being under the law of God, uh, it was warranted. It was legitimate to do so, to refresh the body. <clears throat> but this is not what the Pharisees uh, in fact, censured the Lord over. They didn't censure him over taking the grain. They censured him over doing it on the Sabbath. That became the critical issue. You could do that any other day, but you can't do it on the Sabbath because according to their tradition, the tradition of the elders, it was servile work to do so. They put it into the same category as reaping. Now, in Exodus 34.21, we know that the law of God did forget, forbid reaping. Exodus 34.21 says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. So you are not to reap on the Sabbath, even during harvest time, you know, to plow. Again, the Lord demonstrates how the Pharisees had made the commandment here, the commandment of God of no effect by their tradition. Jesus didn't come, dear ones, to abolish the Sabbath any more than he came to abolish any of God's laws. But to make it rather full. He didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. He came to make the Sabbath and God's law full. That is, he came to give to the Sabbath and to God's law its full meaning, its right interpretation. And here is a very uh, good case in point. How the tradition of the elders forbade taking the grain off of the stalk and eating it on the Sabbath. That was their particular commandments, and it was not, in fact, God's law. <clears throat> In verses 25 through 26, we read these words. Chapter 2, Mark. But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread 
which is not lawful to eat except the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. Now here, in this, these two verses, Jesus does defend the actions of the disciples against the false charges, the false accusations brought against them by the Pharisees. He defends them as legitimate acts of, of necessity and mercy to partake of the food. Now, as we look at these categories, deeds of worship, deeds of mercy, and deeds of necessity, I think that it's very helpful to realize that God does not spell out every single act or deed that you will do and put it into that category for you. He gives us the principles to use in applying all that we do on the Lord's Day. And I would submit to you that if you cannot fit something that you are doing into one of those categories that you should not be doing it. If you cannot look upon it as either necessity, mercy, or worship, you should not be doing it. Or as fulfilling worship, necessity, or mercy. Verse 25, he speaks of David here. Notice what he says. David did, did you not, or have you not ever read what David did when he was, notice, in need and hungry? Now, back in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21, you, don't, you may turn there if you'd like. You don't have to. I'm simply going to refer to it. The example there of David fleeing from Saul's presence because now uh, it was very apparent that Saul had it out for David. Jonathan had tried to make peace with his father and, and Saul had thrown the spear at, at Jonathan. And Jonathan fled for his life because he was, he was so angry uh, with David. Uh, he was even taking it out upon his own son. And Jonathan warns David. And so David flees Saul's presence at that point. And he flees with a few men to one of the uh, cities the, where the priests were. And he goes to the, the high priest at that time, Ahimelech, and his son was Abiathar. It's interesting in this particular passage, uh, uh, Abiathar, it says, uh, I want to point out this is not a, uh, a contradiction uh, here in verse 26 where it says how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest. Uh, uh, Abiathar was probably at that particular point uh, ministering along with his father, the high priest. Ahimelech does not uh, receive a great deal of, um, of uh, shall you say, ink in the Bible. Abiathar does. This happened. Abiathar does become high priest uh, subsequent to uh, uh, Saul killing all of the priests, which happened shortly after this account. And so Abiathar, uh, this did indeed happen not while he was 
uh, high priest. But in the days, the t- general time frame in which Abiathar was the high priest. Now, what happens in this particular account when David flees? He asks for food. All that they have there, they don't have any common bread. All that they have is that bread which is placed, the 12 loaves of bread that are placed before uh, on the table in the very tabernacle of God. Now, these particular loaves of bread have, if you read 1 Samuel chapter 21, these loaves that David receives have already been removed from the table. They have new loaves have been placed on the table. These are the old ones. They have not been eaten yet. And so here you find that these are the ones. Nevertheless, it does teach that it was not something for anyone else to eat, even if it had been, as it were, discarded at that particular point. In Leviticus 24.9, it makes it very clear. No one is to eat this bread but the priests. But in this particular situation, Jesus argues that David legitimately, because of his need, because of the situation in which he was in at that point, partook of the showbread. That it was legitimate, it was biblical, it was righteous for David to partake of the showbread in that particular situation because his need at that particular point, his desperate need, outweighed even those particular ceremonial uh, details. Now, in any other situation, uh, we would tremble in fear uh, uh, as to what would happen. But in this particular situation, Jesus is pointing out that the need and necessity that David had outweighed that particular detail of the ceremonial law. Now, when Jesus says in verse 26, when he says, which is not lawful to eat, referring to the showbread, he is not implying that his disciples had done that which was not lawful, but simply arguing that if it is lawful in David's needy situation to eat the showbread, which is not lawful ordinarily for anyone else to eat but for the priest, then how can you possibly condemn me or my disciples for doing that which God's law does not prohibit at all? And that's the nature of the argument, namely the preparation for food. God does not condemn his people for the preparation of food on the Sabbath. As you look at all of the examples that we've already mentioned with regard to Christ's healing on the Sabbath, what comes through loud and clear is that the Pharisees had more compassion for their animals than they did for people. Jesus points out to them, if one of your animals, your donkey or your oxen, fell into a pit, you would rescue him. And yet I've rescued and set free one who has been bound for 18 years, stooped over, and I've set her free. And you condemn me for doing so, and yet you would rescue your animals. Or you lead your animals from, from the stall to give them water 
on the Lord's day. And yet I have healed and shown mercy upon one made in the image of God and you condemn me for it. You remember in John chapter 5 that Jesus also defended his healing. Turn there with me very quickly. In John chapter 5, Jesus defends his healing on the Sabbath. It says in verse 16, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath, that is, healed this particular man who was unable to get into the pool of Bethesda. But notice verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Now, what does he mean by that? What he's saying is that God maintains his work of preservation in providence every day, even the Lord's day. The Lord doesn't step off of the throne and let the world just go haywire on the Sabbath in order to rest. There are certain deeds that God continues and works that God continues to maintain on the Sabbath. That's a deed or act of mercy to us for him to continue to uphold his creation and to preserve his creation is an act of mercy to us. On that basis, Jesus says, I do deeds of mercy, just as my Father does. And they are absolutely righteous and legitimate. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, <clears throat> no, we're doing a lot of jumping around uh, today, but... Uh, Please uh, bear with me. Matthew chapter 12. This is a parallel passage to Mark chapter 2. But in this particular passage, he also adds not only the, the account of David and eating the showbread, but he also adds to this particular account in verse 5, Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? So he says deeds of necessity, deeds of mercy, and deeds of worship are essential and necessary, legitimate and righteous on the Lord's Day. In this particular case, the priests actually, according to the law of God, are required to perform, did you know, twice as many sacrifices on the Sabbath than they would any other day. According to God's word in Leviticus 24.8, they were required, oh, I'm sorry, Numbers 28.9, Numbers 28.9, they were required to offer as many, twice as many sacrifices on the Sabbath. Furthermore, they were required on the Sabbath to prepare the 12 new loaves of the showbread that they weren't required the other days to prepare, but on the Sabbath they were required to do so. And so there's added responsibilities. That this is the point that Jesus is making. There's added responsibilities given to the ministers, the priests, on the Sabbath. In, in other words, their work becomes more difficult 
And I can attest to that. The Sabbath is, uh, uh, in the sense of work, is hardly a day off for, for a minister. Many people think that it's the only day he works anyway, so what difference does it make? So, but, the, uh, but the Sabbath... The Sabbath is hardly uh, a day of physical rest for the minister of the gospel or for the priest in the Old Testament. And yet, the Lord says that they're justified in doing so because it pertains to worship. And so that's why I believe, again, the principle maintained here is that those deeds which pertain to worship or you're driving, for example, to get to worship, those kinds of deeds are absolutely necessary on the Lord's Day. Uh, Deeds not only of public worship, but deeds that pertain to private worship, your own individual time of worship on the Sabbath, as well as family worship. Those are absolutely essential, necessary to be performed on the Lord's Day. Now, there are other examples of works of necessity or mercy that were performed on the Lord's Day in Scripture. And let me just, uh, there, there are about three of them. Let me just quickly mention them to you, to you. We've already noted, so we don't really need to go beyond this. We've looked at Luke 14.1. We've seen that meal preparation is legitimate on the Sabbath. Um, Jesus attends the, uh, he's invited to uh, have meal with uh, one of the Pharisees, the ruler, ruler of the Pharisees. And uh, he accepts that invitation. He goes and he joins with the, the uh, people in that uh, particular situation. And so I would derive from that particular principle that, that deeds related to meal preparation or hospitality are absolutely necessary and legitimate on the Lord's Day. Uh, in other words, uh, if one uh, says, I can never have someone over or I can never go over to someone else's house on the Lord's Day, I don't think that they are applying the principle of God's word, those principles we find there accurately. God, uh, the Lord Jesus, certainly uh, did not keep the Sabbath in that manner. He's our example. We follow him. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Another deed that I think is perfectly legitimate uh, are those deeds which are related to national or civic security. Uh, you, as you read through Joshua 6.5, you'll find that the, that the people of Israel marched for how many days? Oh, seven days. One of them had to be a Sabbath. There's not eight days in a week. Uh, that means that they were doing something that pertained maybe not to actual fighting, but something that was leading up to. If it, we don't know which day of that, uh, the week was actually the Sabbath. It doesn't tell us. But it says they marched for seven days around uh, the city of Jericho. We might glean from that particular, that particular account that there are deeds of necessity that are related to security, civic, national security, from wars, uh, those types of uh, things. Um, the uh, Jews, during the times of the Maccabees, refused to defend themselves against the Syrians because it was the Sabbath. They were totally destroyed, wiped out. God does not call us 
to that kind of Sabbath keeping. Uh, that is not biblical Sabbath keeping. We are permitted to defend ourselves. We are de- permitted to uh, practice national or civic security on the Sabbath, whether it be law enforcement agencies, those types of agencies can continue legitimately to operate on the Sabbath. And another category, necessary travel. In Acts 27, uh, you find the Apostle Paul on a voyage uh, to Rome. And, uh, of course, he doesn't have a whole lot to say about uh, whether he's traveling on the Lord's Day at that particular point in time or not. But he doesn't raise the issue either. You know, we've got to, we've got to pull over, you know, here, fellows, it's, it's the Sabbath. Now, it says that there was actually, at one point, 14 days that the storm uh, was raging, in which they hadn't eaten. Now, again, uh, that would imply that there had been uh, a couple Sabbaths in that particular period of time that had been... Uh, uh, that had uh, occurred. And so, again, uh, I'm not spelling out all the details for you. I'm simply giving you, I think, categories that you can begin to, to look at your life. How can you determine the things that you do on the Lord's Day? Are they in keeping with the principles that God has given to us in His Word? But then you come face to face with some pretty difficult passages with regard to this whole area of what about, someone may say, what about Exodus 35? That you're not even to light a fire. Exodus 35. Let's read that. Verses 1 through 3. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever did any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations on the Sabbath day. Now, that would seem to to contradict what I have said earlier with regard to food preparation or maybe heating or those kinds of things. Uh, They might use fire for for both of those reasons, to keep oneself warm uh, or one's family warm as well as to provide uh, food, to to heat food uh, for that that purpose on that day. What do we say in regard to uh, that particular uh, objection? I have seen in a certain, uh, by certain reconstructionists uh, that uh, this becomes, in effect, the passage that they appeal to for loosening the Sabbath in this particular day and age and uh, allowing them to go out and eat in restaurants, etc., etc., not binding them to keep the Sabbath. They will appeal to this particular passage. Well, I submit to you, I offer to you for your consideration and thinking that this is not referring to a deed of mercy, necessity, or worship. The kind of building a fire that's in view here, it doesn't fall into any of those categories. I'll tell you why. Follow this line of argument very quickly. First of all, 
The Sabbath is not a day of fasting. It's a day of feasting, according to the scripture. In Luke 14, Jesus went to to have fellowship, to be with people. Uh, he was not on a fast. As we read through the, uh, through the Old Testament scriptures as well, you see various times in which uh, the Sabbaths become uh, times of uh, great uh, celebration, uh, great uh, rejoicing on the part of God's people. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, they are enjoying on the Sabbath uh, the agape feast uh, amongst themselves. This is going on in the Sabbath as well uh, at the worship services. And so they're not fasting. Uh, we actually find on uh, the holy days, those holy convocation days, that God says no work is to be done. It's a day set aside to be holy. We actually find, for example, uh, food preparation going on. Uh, we find in Nehemiah chapter 8, for example, at the Feast of Tabernacles that was celebrated there. Nehemiah chapter 8. <coughs> Beginning uh, with verse 9, it says, <clears throat> And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the day or for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That was a holy convocation. Again, we find in the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, with regard to food preparation, using uh, uh, their uh, there are fires uh, to cook or to prepare food. We find in Exodus chapter 12 <clears throat> these words. Verse 16 says, On the first day, first day of the Passover, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat that only may be prepared by you. Again, look with me at um, verse 8 of the same chapter. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. And so we find in these days of holy convocation in which there was no work to be done that they were permitted to cook using a fire. I would submit to you that back in Exodus chapter 35, this has nothing to do with cooking food or with heating one's house. But I would submit to you as you look throughout the whole chapter that it has to do with another kind of servile work that God says you cannot do. Exodus 35 you find that in this particular chapter, all of the things in this chapter pertain to the tabernacle, the things that were being made for the tabernacle. 
And I would submit to you, based on that, that what is in view here is using a fire for the purpose of working, for even adding ornaments, for even beautifying the temple or the tabernacle. That was forbidden on the Lord's Day. That was unnecessary work to be performed on the Sabbath. And the last questionable or uh, objectionable passage that uh, people will appeal to from the Old Testament with regard to this is the passage we read from Numbers chapter 15. The man who was out gathering sticks on the Sabbath and was put to death for doing so. Notice the position of this particular passage from what follows or what precedes it. It defines for us what a presumptuous sin is. At least in verses 30 through 31, it identifies a presumptuous sin. And I would submit to you that in verses 32 through 36, it gives you an example of a presumptuous sin. God had made it very clear that they were not to gather sticks. They were not to gather anything that would pertain to servile work. As the Exodus 35 passage, I believe, pertains in some way to servile work, I think that you find in Numbers chapter 15 that here is a man who is gathering sticks to perform the same kinds of duties. And that is a sin, when it says a presumptuous sin, that literally in Hebrew is a sin with a high hand. He was shaking his fist in God's face and saying, I don't care, God, what you have said with regard to the Sabbath and what I'm to do and what I'm not to do. I'm going to do it anyway. And so... We're not talking about some uh, sin of ignorance here. This is a presumptuous sin and for which this man is put to death. It's not a child who happens to go out in the street and run and play and then a child is put to death for that. This is a very conscious act, an act of rebellion against the Almighty God who had very clearly laid out for Israel what they were to do with regard to the Sabbath. No less presumptuous. No less presumptuous. Um, probably more presumptuous. Eve was deceived, the Word of God teaches. This man acted presumptuously. we get to the time now I want to do some application with regard to these principles we looked pretty intensely last Lord's Day at the last two verses of Mark chapter 2 and I won't be spending a whole lot of time there for this Lord's Day on those two verses I'll just uh, briefly touch on them in just a moment but let, let's just think for a moment about the implications of what we have learned as to what 
is to be done on the Sabbath. The kingdom of God, dear ones, is to be built and extended on the Lord's day, even as Christ himself extended the kingdom by his deeds and his words. He was extending the kingdom on that day. I'm convinced we have, and I include myself, we have much to learn and grow in this area of extending the kingdom on the Lord's day through deeds of mercy and worship and necessity. But by God's grace, as an elder in God's church, we will begin to think more seriously about these particular areas. Remember the deeds that God commends and commands to be done on the Sabbath as a part of our rest in Him that are found in Isaiah 58. We, I think, have referred to those last Lord's Day. Remember those deeds? Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? That's not inactivity, dear ones. That's being very active. What God calls us to do on the Sabbath. And when you come to the New Testament and you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, and as he begins his earthly ministry, he comes to the city of Nazareth in chapter 4, verse 16 of Luke. And it says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord refers to the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, That seventh or that 49th year, the 50th year, would become a year in which they would set those who had become indentured slaves, would set them free. Those who were so poor that they had to have their property sold in order to survive, that property returned to its original owner. The Lord Jesus, I would submit to you, 
in this particular passage, on the Sabbath, declares the year of Jubilee in his ministry, but particularly on the Sabbath day, dear ones. It's following up from what he says, or God says in uh, Isaiah 58, the things that should happen on the Sabbath, the Lord Jesus himself says should occur. It is a release, a day of restoration of the poor and the needy. And I want you to distinguish between, when we talk about poor and needy, the truly oppressed versus the lazy or slothful who will not work. There are those who are truly oppressed and we are to minister to them with regard to food and aid and shelter and clothing. We're to minister what we have to them. But there are those who are simply lazy and slothful and they are reaping the consequences of their sin. If they will not turn from their laziness and their slothfulness, if they will not repent of that, we do not have an obligation. If one will not work, neither let him eat, Paul says. But are we even seeking out? The question is, are we even taking the time to seek out those who are genuinely oppressed that we can minister to? True religion is summed up this way in James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. True religion, dear ones, should be performed all the time, but it should be especially performed on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, a day of jubilee, of setting the prisoner free, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord well, what can we do? What can we do as a church? Let me submit to you some ministries that we should begin seriously thinking about. How we can be involved on Sabbath days in these areas. Jail and prison ministries. Hospitals. Convalescent homes. Rescue missions. And we could probably go on and on and on. But there are four legitimate ministries to people who, to whom we can minister. The gospel, the grace, the mercy of God. You remember the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. As he gathers the nations before him on that final day, he separates the sheep from the goats. And this is the basis of judgment. This is the basis for the judgment that he renders. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, 
and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to, the one, to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Have we, dear ones, really kept the Sabbath? Perhaps we've been ignorant of our responsibilities in these areas. But I challenge you, have we kept the Sabbath? I don't see how we can honestly say that we have been faithful in our Sabbath keeping if we are not following in the deeds that Christ performed on the Sabbath in extending the kingdom of God. The Sabbath, yes, was made for man's benefit, as Jesus says in Mark 2.27. Man is to enter into the rest of God's rest each Sabbath to commune with God. That's the spiritual rest. But also to serve God by seeking to bring others into that rest as well. Through their deeds of mercy and necessity. The Son of Man, Jesus says, is also Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath, dear ones, not for the purpose of abolishing it. That would be a strange lordship indeed, would it not? To abolish it after he says he's the Lord of it. To become Lord in order to end it, especially after having just said in the previous verse that it was made and instituted for man's benefit. And then he comes to end it? No, he's Lord of the Sabbath. In the words of David Brown, in order to own it, to interpret it, to preside over it, and to ennoble it. God grant to us the grace to keep the Sabbath through building up the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our Father, indeed we ask you to have mercy upon us, to give to us, Lord, true humility in applying these principles to our lives and to the church. O God, to whom much is given, much is required. And Father, you have given us light and understanding as to the nature of the Sabbath, that it is not a time to be idle and inactive, but it is a day of entering into your rest. Rest that is communion with you, and rest that is and involves deeds of mercy even as God has shown us mercy on every Sabbath 
through his preservation. Even as the Lord Jesus has demonstrated through his deeds of mercy and the miracles that he performed. O God, our Father, cause us to enjoy your earthly Sabbaths as a foretaste of that Sabbath to come. Let us minister even to one another, O God. Let us open our homes up to one another, as well as, Father, let us look to those whom we can minister outside, to whom we can minister outside of the church. Give to us a vision, O God, of all that you want us to accomplish. And give us, Lord, the, the will to accomplish it. Not simply to utter pious words, but, O God, to take those steps to be obedient and faithful so that we can truly enjoy your Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, 
and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.